This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of nonstop news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Seven at seven. Weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about record-breaking hockey. I am Ben Goetz, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joined on the other line by my colleague Dave Shane this morning. Dave, how's it hanging, man? Good. Uh, got a week in Southern California, a uh, little sun, not much fun, but yeah. Little refreshing uh, trip out there for some hockey, so good to go. Getting uh, getting geared up for the playoffs here. Yeah, it's been a lot of California teams for the Golden Knights recently, and uh, also uh, looks like there's going to be definitely more hockey on the horizon as well. Going into May, we're going to talk about all that on this episode. But first, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by blue wire um also if you guys could rate review subscribe whatever you do to podcasts please do to this one we put out a new episode every week and sometimes just you know a couple times uh every now and then throughout the season we have special bonus episodes including monday's edition where we talked with golden knights defenseman alex petrangelo so if you haven't listened yet make sure to uh check that one out i would say it's like a solid uh, eight out of ten. I don't know, Dave. What do you think? I don't know. No, I, I might even go nine. That was one of my favorite ones. Alex Petrangelo was a great guest. Uh, you know, he was he was very candid, very open. Uh, revealed even a a couple little newsy tidbits uh, for for exclusive Golden Edge listeners. So yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know eight. I think you're underselling it there, Ben. It was a it was a great podcast. Folks should check it out. Well, there you go. You heard it from the man himself. Nine out of ten. <laughs> so uh, go listen. And also, of course, uh, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com because that also pays the bills. All right. We have a lot to get to on this week's show. Uh, we're going to start with something that kind of weirdly enough is not totally a Golden Knights topic, but I think it's worth delving into anyway. Uh, and that, of course, is for anyone who is not paying attention Monday night, San Jose Sharks forward Patrick Marlowe set an NHL record by playing 1,768 games. Uh, one more than Mr. Hockey himself, Gordie Howe. Uh, he started the game, then at the first stoppage, everything stopped. Both 
uh, teams were giving him stick taps. Gary Bettman was on the video board congratulating him. Uh, his family was waving at him. They uh, put his family up in a suite at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, the Knights still won the game 3-2 in a shootout. Uh, but all in all, Dave, it was a very cool night and a very cool game to kind of tangentially be a part of. Uh, what was it like for you being there in the building for it? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime we're afforded the opportunity with with our jobs, you know, we get to watch a lot of games, a lot of sports. But anytime you're able to see history, it makes you kind of appreciate, you know, what we're able to do and what, you know, what we do for for a living and, and what sort of experiences uh, that we're able to have because of it. I've been pretty lucky in my career uh, to have, you know, seen a couple things that, you know, go down in sports lore, I guess you could say. Um, I happen to be in the bleachers for Barry Bonds' uh, seven fifteen, So not the big home run, but the one that passed Babe Ruth. And I am about as far from a San Francisco Giants fan as you could ever find. Uh, probably nearing a grainy status on that. Uh, and I thought it was a really cool experience. I still have the ticket and it was actually, uh, they gave out an Omar Vizquel bobblehead that day. And I, I still have that just because, you know, it was a cool thing. Um, not to like sick brag. I happen to be uh, there for the Terrell Owens catch in the playoffs against the Packers. Um, and, you know, this, this was up there I, in a weird way. I'm not going to quite say it was the same and, and I'm not going to diminish Patrick Marlowe's record in any way. I, I just, here's where, where it felt a little bit different for me. It was like, there was an anticipation of it. You knew it was coming. As soon as they dropped the puck, he broke the record. It wasn't like a goal where there was like a specific moment where it's kind of like, okay, you're waiting for it. And boom, he puts it in the goal or, you know, net passes a, a record and it's like, okay, now we've seen, the official moment, but I think the longevity and sort of as I digested everything that, that came from this record. Um, I mean, in 1997, I was a senior in college. I could barely legally drink a beer early in my career. I worked in the Bay area and one of my roles was as a kind of backup um, sharks rider when the, the the main sharks beat rider needed a day off i would go down to san jose and i talked patrick marlow like early in his career and to kind of see it you know come full circle a little bit in that way um was very cool and and like i said I, i'm not diminishing this at all because i think it was a record that most of us thought was going to be unbreakable i mean it's basically it's like two careers I mean, it's almost 1,800 games. If you play 900 games, like that's a that's a heck of a career. He's basically had two careers, and and for that, and to be able to see it, to be able to witness it, even though there wasn't kind of that that one moment um, that you can kind of grasp onto, it it was awesome. It was cool. I'm extremely extremely grateful for being in the building and being able to see it. No, me too. I mean, it was an awesome night. It helped that the game kind of lived up to the billing as well. We mentioned it went to a shootout. The overtime that preceded the shootout was just five minutes of incredible back and forth hockey. I mean, Martin Jones was amazing just to get that to a shootout for the Sharks. So it was very fun to be in the building. And yeah, putting that number, uh, 1,768, is kind of difficult to put into context until you realize just how crazy it was. 
uh, it struck me, and Pete DeBoer was kind of reminding of this the other day, because Milan Lucic for the Calgary Flames played in his 1,000th game, I believe, like around the same time. And so Lucic's whole family was on the ice with him. They gave him this like shiny, you know, gold stick. Is like, oh my gosh, Milan, you played a thousand games. Like, congratulations. We got a, a whole pregame ceremony for you. And Patrick Marlowe has played 768 more games than this guy. It's insane. Uh, more numbers. I mean, Dave, you mentioned your age. I was three years old at the time because uh, I was born in 1994. Uh in terms of the players that Patrick Marlowe shared the ice with on Monday night, Nick Hague and Dylan Coughlin were not born when Patrick Marlowe played his first NHL game. Uh, Nicholas Waugh and Zach Whitecloud, less than a year old, and Alex Tuck was one. Um, for those of you that are curious about how the kind of Knights players stack up in terms of games played, uh, Max Pacioretty leads all Knights skaters at 806. So he is not even halfway to Patrick Marlowe's pace right now. You could have two Max Pacioretty careers at this moment, and they would not equal a Patrick Marlowe career. And Patrick is uh, 32 years old. He is not exactly like a spring chicken, a young guy in the game. And then I will point out uh, this nugget because it was one of my favorite nuggets that the NHL Sent out for full context, you know, for the NHL sent out a full release, like leading up to the game with all these like fun stats and tidbits um, to kind of try to, you know, shape this record. Uh, my favorite was when Patrick Marlowe made his NHL debut, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone had just hit the bookshelves in the UK. And those of you that are curious why I said Philosopher's Stone uh, it's because it's called the Sorcerer's Stone in the United States, but it had not been released in the United States yet. Harry Potter was not in the U.S. when Patrick Marlowe made his NHL debut. Uh, and I love that tidbit because uh, I actually have both versions of the book because uh, my mom, because I was such a huge Harry Potter geek, once bought me the U.K. version of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, it's just a mind-boggling record to wrap your head around, Dave, just how much hockey this man has played. Yeah, and, and so I want to add like one little thing in, in because I saw I came across this, and I'm going to credit uh, Curtis Pashelka, who covers the Sharks uh, up in the Bay Area uh, for the San Jose Mercury News. He's a former colleague of mine when I worked up there. Uh, so he wrote a great story, and there's an anecdote in there about Patrick Marlowe. His birthday was at the very, very, very edge of making him eligible for the 1997 draft. If he was born one day later, he would have been eligible in 1998. And all of this would have been set off by a year. Who knows if he would have even made it this far? You know, would he have been that close to the record? Would somebody have signed him? I, not to, you know, certainly... Uh, thump him or anything, but I think you know we saw some chances in that game that had it been 2011, uh, maybe he scores on and he wasn't able to convert in that game Monday and kind of have his magic moment. You know, so it, there's a lot of like just weird serendipity and, and sort of the hockey gods smiling on all this, you know, for it to happen. Uh, you know, there's some weird sort of parallelism with him and Gordy Howe both being you know from Saskatchewan and, and all those sorts of things. How family certainly. You know, reaching out to the Marlowe family and letting them, you know, know how appreciative and, and congratulating him on the record 
And kind of with that, I, I, I do want to throw in one other thing too. And not that I doubted this, not that I thought Knights fans would be anything but respectful, but I thought it was very cool to see the way that Knights fans responded to this, that any ounce of rivalry or, or whatever was completely thrown out the window. I think the 3,950 fans in T-Mobile kind of understood the moment and understood that they had a chance to see history. You know, we talked about what it meant for us. And, and I think, you know, those fans, too, are, are going to be able to take away you know, a story and say, I was there for that. And it may not be the biggest sports story that they've ever, you know, seen or heard of or witnessed, but it's something. And and I think they were all appreciative in that building. I think they made it a special night. And, and like I said, not that I expected anything different, but, you know, uh, kudos to, to the Knights fans and the organization for, you know, embracing the moment and, you know, really sort of going along with it and, and allowing it to be special. One hour air conditioning and heating. Our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855 One Hour or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time, or you don't Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app, or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV, and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. No, absolutely. I totally agree. I think uh, the fans that were allowed to be in the building and just the Knights kind of did right by Patrick Marlowe and honoring him. Uh, the Knights all shook Patrick Marlowe's hand after the game and both teams kind of stayed on the ice to give him some stick taps. Uh, it was cool. It was just a very cool game to, you know, be a part of in some small way. And my hot take is that uh, a lot more than uh, 3,950 people are ultimately going to say they were at that game. Uh, well, that was uh, your Sharks podcast for the week. Uh, hopefully you guys still enjoyed that because like the Knights were involved in a, a history making moment in the NHL on Monday. But now we'll actually talk a little bit about uh, night hockey. As I said, the Knights won that game 3-2 in a shootout. That was their seventh straight win, and they are very close to locking up a spot in the playoffs. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. The Knights play the Sharks again tonight, and if they get even a point against the San Jose Sharks, they are locked in to the postseason. Uh, Not shocking. I think to any of us that have been uh, watching and following this team that they have made the playoffs for the fourth time in four years. Essentially, they still have to clinch it. But I think we're all expecting that to happen sooner rather than later. But now that the playoffs are a basically almost full on certainty and the Knights just have 11 games remaining. uh, What are some of the things that you're kind of looking from for from this team down the stretch, Dave, as they head into what they hope is a Stanley Cup run? I mean, I think for the most part, most of the questions have been answered. I think the biggest one is obviously the goaltending. And just what happens with that is Pete DeBoer going to continue to rotate. Would he rotate in the playoffs? I mean, you know, you you and I, we've talked about this before. We're, we're both like college hockey fans. So we kind of come a little bit from that background. And 
rotating goalies and kind of having a Friday and a Saturday guy is definitely not unusual in college hockey. And I mean, my Wisconsin Badgers even did it into the postseason this year where they were alternating guys and obviously didn't work out very well for them. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know. That might be sort of the modern uh, way to go on things. And, and maybe there's some numbers that back it up. Certainly Pete Boer is an analytics guy. I think if he can find any sort of numbers that would back up, you know, a thought process or anything that he's, you know, he's having, uh, he's going to, he's going to rely on that. He's going to lean on that. So, you know, I, I, the goaltending, obviously just from day one, I mean, how many times have we talked about it throughout this year on this podcast? I don't think it's going to go away because both guys are playing well. And, you know, I think there's a couple other little issues. Power play is certainly got to get fixed or adjusted or just elevated a little bit so that it's not kind of a rally killer at times. Uh, obviously, Mark Stone having two power play goals on Monday is a step in the right direction. I love him sort of in that net front kind of goal line uh, position and, and being able to tip and then being able to slide over uh, and, and be sort of a creator in, you know, a position that we saw Cody Glass, you know, early on sort of thrive in. And I think Mark Stone and his playmaking ability uh, can open some things up potentially, um, you know, and then just the bottom six, I think, you know, going forward, uh, you know, is Nosa going to continue to score? Is Nick Waugh going to stay hot? And then kind of once they get everybody healthy in terms of Colasar and Reeves, and now that they've added Yanmark, um, and, you know, we heard from Kelly McCrimmon potentially that somebody even like Peyton Krebs could be in the mix, you know, down the line. So I think Pete DeBoer is going to have, you know, a few decisions down there. But, you know, for the most part, I think it's just about, you know, the Knights continuing to play well here for the last 11 games, you know, continuing to peak. Uh, you know, not peaking too soon, I guess you could say, but they certainly seem like they're playing their best hockey at the right time of the year. Yeah, definitely. And so I want to touch on a few things that you just mentioned there. Uh, first, we got to touch a little bit longer on the goaltenders. It is funny because you asked Pete DeBoer the other day, like kind of what is he looking to see from these guys um, if one of them were to separate themselves from the other? And Pete DeBoer said basically, I'm not sure how they could separate from one another unless one of them just like doesn't allow a goal, basically, because they're both playing very, very well. Uh, Robin Leonard is 8-0-1 since returning from his concussion, and he has a 936 save percentage and a 1.7 goals against average in that time. He also kind of slayed his shootout demons at least a little bit by going three for three against the Sharks uh, on Monday. Uh, and then Marc-Andre Fleury has not been as good as Leonard lately, but for the season, he is 20 and 10 with a 925 save percentage and a uh, 2.09 goals against average. Uh, so it's really tricky. Uh, well, obviously, a lot could happen in these last, uh, you know, it's about five starts for each guy. Fleury should theoretically get six here, but you've got a guy in Robin Leonard who is playing just sensational hockey right now and was obviously their starter in the postseason for most of last year. Fleury made some spot starts in the playoffs. But then you have Marc-Andre Fleury, who's obviously kind of still the face of the franchise, a guy who's having a excellent year, could still get some Vezina Trophy consideration, maybe hasn't been as good lately, but his body of work overall is probably stronger. And so... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to end up being potentially a very tricky decision for Pete DeBoer to try to navigate kind of everything 
going around with both guys in terms of the longevity that Flurry has and what he's meant to this team in its history and also this season versus Robin Leonard, who's been playing very well, who the team made a long-term commitment to last offseason and is probably going to be around for a while as well. I don't, it's one of those, uh, I get where Pete DeBoer, he basically told you, Dave, you know, like, I'm not going to make a decision on it until I have to. And I think that's probably the right approach. But uh, if the playoffs started tomorrow, I'm not quite sure who he would end up picking. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, the other night, I kind of put out a, or maybe it was, um, no, it was on Sunday before the Anaheim game. I put something on Twitter. Hey, you know, I got some time to kill. Ask me some questions. Somebody asked me who I thought would be the game one starter. And I really had to stop and think and (laughs) kind of rationalize my answer. Eventually, I came up with sort of a real half total cop out answer. I was going to say something different, but I'll keep it PG for the uh, for the podcast Um, and kind of copped out and said, well, I think it'll be flurry, but like. You know, I reserve the right to change that based on what happens, you know, over the last 11 games here. I, I mean, it's like you said, the numbers, I think, make it almost sort of seem like Robin Leonard is the guy that, you know, is playing better right now. I I, I think there's some other maybe mitigating factors in that. I, I've talked about this before. For whatever reason, Robin Leonard doesn't seem to start against the uh, harder teams or maybe the teams that are playing as well at that particular time, uh, not to knock anything that he's done, but for what, yeah, it just has sort of worked out that way. Where like when the Knights don't score, you know, it's, it seems to have been against teams that are playing a little bit better at the time and flurries in goal. Uh, he, you know, Pete DeWar was asked about that a little bit, you know, in terms of flurries run support and all those sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, the numbers are what they are. I certainly don't think flurry is playing as badly as as maybe those numbers show um but at this point i mean i don't have the slightest idea almost you know who who pete DeBoer would go with like i mean on the one hand you can't go wrong that's a thing it's a positive because he's not choosing from like the lesser of two evils he's actually choosing from two guys who are playing really well so from that standpoint the knights are in a good spot going into this but I, yeah, I mean, flip a coin. I, I, I honestly, at this point, just don't know who he's going to go with, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it works out here for uh, the next few weeks. No, I don't either. It'll be interesting to see how this choice plays out. I mean, you know, we obviously went through a lot of this last year when it came down to who was going to be their primary starter in the playoffs, and certainly, I don't think it's going to lead to any sort of big locker room divide that is going to crater the team but i think it is one of the most important decisions any nhl coach can make is who's their starting goalie because goalies just affect so much of what the outcome of the game is going to be so it'll be you know fascinating to see where the knights ultimately go with this and kind of what their public rationale for the decision is Um, i also want to quick touch on you mentioned earlier the you know, the bottom six and the scoring that the Knights are getting from there. Uh, It's interesting because the Knights, as we've talked about, at least kind of seem to dip their toes into the center waters 
around the trade deadline. Um, there are rumors about them potentially uh, going after Philadelphia's Nolan Patrick. And then uh, Anaheim Ducks captain Ryan Getzlaff just came out and said on a Zoom call, like, yeah, the Knights were one of the teams that approached uh, general manager Bob Murray about my no-move clause. So that was a guy that the Knights were interested in, and it obviously would have taken some salary cap maneuvering to pull off. But the interest seemed to be clear that they were at least exploring the possibility of adding kind of like a third, fourth line center. Well, recently, uh, the guys that they have at third and fourth line center are playing so well that I don't think the Knights are having a ton of regrets yet. Uh, Tomas Nosek, as I think we've touched on on this podcast before, is having an absolute career season. He has 18 points in 36 games. Uh, Nicholas Waugh has now really taken off. He has eight points in his last 10 games. He's shooting more. He's playing a little bit more direct, and he's gotten a lot of praise from kind of uh, Pete DeBoer and teammates who have all kind of mentioned he's kind of gotten out of his own head because he wasn't scoring earlier in the season, and he's just going out and playing again. Uh, so it's interesting, Dave, are those two guys kind of proving the Knights right for standing pat there or how important is it for, you know, the team for those guys to keep it up so that they are ultimately kind of proven correct? Yeah, I think this, the second part of your question is probably the more pertinent that they're, they're going to have to keep this up. Um, I, you know, I think for right now, you know, they don't regret not making a move or anything like that, but yeah, they're getting the production and, and I think, I guess they're proving them right in the short term. There's to, for me though, there's still a lot of questions to be answered in the long term. You know, Tomas Nosek is having a career year. Like you mentioned, he's got 18 points. His career high was 17. He's done that in 36 games. I don't know if he can keep that pace up. He's going to have to though. They're going to need that sort of production. The the offense, you know, that they've gotten, you know, the last handful of games and, and scoring, you know, four or five goals and, and all that breaking out of that little inconsistent slump that they went through when certainly Chandler Stevenson's absence, I think contributed to that in hindsight, it's pretty obvious, you know, looking at the effect that he has, you know, once he's back in the lineup, but I think also it's that bottom six and no six hot streak and was ability to, you know, start driving a little bit of offense and, and produce that has resulted in, you know, sort of the goal to- totals that we've seen. It's not Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty carrying the team. It's them sort of supplementing the offense and, and adding to it. That's what the Golden Knights are going to need, you know, in the playoffs. Whether they can keep it up, I think, is a, is a big question mark because Waz still young, unproven postseason guy. You know, Nosek has a track record in the NHL. You know, we kind of know what he is a little bit, and he's playing above that right now. So, you know, can he can he keep it up? He's gonna, you know, he's gonna have to. There, there's a couple other possibilities though with this. You know, we talked a lot about Matthias Janmark last week in the acquisition, and you know, obviously he started out in the wing, but he's played some center too. And he, you know, I think there's, you know, a game even over there where where he was kicked over to center um, in the last week. I don't remember which one, uh, and then. You know, like I mentioned before, I mean, who knows how Peyton Krebs is going to factor into this and whether, you know, he bumps somebody like Yanmark to center and then all of a sudden you have a co- competition, you know, between Nosek and say Waugh for like a fourth line spot, you know, or something like that. Those are all things that coaching staffs love to have. They love, you know, competition. They want the guys in there that are, that are playing the best and, you know, whatever it's going to click. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say the Golden Knights need those two guys to continue it to win the Stanley Cup. 
Um, but they're gonna they can't go cold. They they have to continue to produce. The bottom six has to you know chip in at the very least, and those guys are a big part of that. No, absolutely. All right, we'll talk about one more thing before we wrap up here. And uh, that's just, I want to note, uh, probably before our next recording, the Knights are basically going to start uh, their most important series of the season to date uh, on Monday. And then Wednesday of next week, they will play the Colorado Avalanche at T-Mobile Arena. As of right now, the Knights have a two-point lead on Colorado uh, in the West Division but the Avalanche have two games at hand. They are currently on a COVID-19 pause. They are expected to start playing Thursday against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, ultimately, obviously, a sweep in either direction might ultimately determine who's going to end up in first place. Uh, just how much are you uh, looking forward to those games, Dave? Yeah, I mean, in a weird way, I kind of wish they were at the end and instead of, you know, with still a couple weeks left after that or, you know, week plus. I don't, my dates are all screwed. I don't even know what day it is today. Jeez. But yeah, I mean, I think even the players said it, Pete DeBoer sort of alluded to it, you know, a little bit, you know, that, that you know, that's maybe going to be the decider. I mean, like you said, if one of those teams sweeps, I mean, that's that, those, that's like a, what, eight point swing potentially that it's four point games. So there's a lot at stake. There's a lot that's going to go into the top seed. I think this year, Whoever gets the fourth seed right now feels like they're sort of stumbling to the finish line. Uh, the Blues seemed like they had it going, and then all of a sudden now it, they, they've sort of you know, reverted to season-long form. I don't think Arizona's been you know, really all that consistent this year. So either one of those teams, it, it doesn't feel like they're coming in hot. It, the, the top seed, it sort of feels like in the West Division this year is going to have a little much easier path. I guess we could say it, it felt like at the start of the year that there was probably three and four, maybe teams that were going to emerge and it was going to be a tough path, you know, that you're going to probably have to go through, you know, like St. Louis, a recent Stanley cup winner, and then probably like Colorado. Well, now it doesn't really look like that. If you get the top seat, you know, you're going to go through maybe St. Louis, but certainly a not playing well, St. Louis or, you know, an Arizona team that, you know, is got some experience in the playoffs last year a little bit, but I don't think as, you know, certainly offensively a very dangerous club. Uh, I don't think the Knights will enjoy, you know, having to grind out games consistently against them, but I think they have an advantage. I think they've clearly proven to be the better team. So, uh, you know, that series against Colorado and just the, the next few weeks here, and as this season wraps up and whoever gets that top seed, it seems to me, like it's going to be even more important than we thought it would be, you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all coming down. It feels like to those two games and it should be a lot of fun. But we'll leave the fallout till next week. Uh, for now, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Also, please check out our interview with Golden Knights defenseman Alex Petrangelo. That should be available on whatever podcast feed you use. 
and we published it on Monday. And of course, if you guys could check out all our written work as well, that would be very much appreciated. I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.